0: Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis. Surprise, surprise, right? We've been spending a lot of time there lately. I've been doing a series of messages, as you know, on people of the Bible. And so I've just kind of started at the beginning. And thus far, we've talked about Adam and Eve. We've talked about Cain and Abel. We've talked about Enoch. We've talked about Noah. And we've talked about Abraham. So many Many people in the Bible, on Mother's Day I jumped ahead and went over to Esther, as you know. There's so many people just in the book of Genesis that you could, spend, you could spend a lot of time in the book of Genesis. But today, I want to look at one of Abraham's relatives, Lot. Lot, and so that's who we're dealing with today. We first find mention of Lot in chapter 11 and verse 27. Of Genesis it says there that this is the account of Terah Terah became the father of Abram Nahor and Haran and Haran became the father of Lot now Lot's father Haran evidently died early in Lot's life so then Lot lived with his uncle with Terah he would have been a first cousin to Abraham which one was older Bible doesn't say For some reason, I have in my head, I've always thought Lot was younger than Abram, but I don't know why. They could have been the same age. Lot may have been older. I don't know. But Lot lived with his uncle Terah, and then Terah moved from Ur of the Chaldees, and Lot went with him. But then his uncle Terah died, and so that's when he joined up with Abram, whom we know as Abraham, and so they stayed together. Now you'll remember that we looked at Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses, where God told Abraham to get up and to leave his home and go to a country that I will show you. And God didn't tell him where to go. He just said, get going. Abram's an old man, all right? His wife, well advanced in years. Change would have been difficult for them. Where are we going, God? Not going to tell you, but just get going. And he did. The Bible says that he obeyed the word of the Lord and he left his home. But in the very next verse, Genesis 12, verse 4, it says Lot went with him. So Lot is going with Abram wherever it is that Abram's going to wind up at. Well, he ultimately settled in an area Abram did known as the Negev in Genesis 12 and verse 9. But a famine then occurs in the land, so Abram goes down to Egypt to wait out the famine. And then in chapter 13, Abram returns to the Negev from Egypt, and it says again that Lot went with him. Now the story of Lot really picks up at this point, because it says in Genesis 13 and verse 5, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Now what's what's the source of what's going to happen here? Well, with that many flocks and herds and tents, both he and Abram, what are they going to need most of all? Pasture, right? place for their flocks to feed and the land could not sustain them while they stayed together. And as a result, some arguing and quarreling took place between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. So Abram came up with a solution. Chapter 13, verse 9, Abram says, It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And so Lot, whom we're going to see made some poor decisions in his life, looked up and made what he thought was probably a good decision. He looked down towards the Jordan Valley, knowing that the river was there, the Jordan River. He could see the green down there, well-watered well, 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 well watered land, and he took the best of what he saw for himself, the whole plain of the Jordan River. And verse 12 says, Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, God is going to take Abram out at this point and say, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. Every place you see and every place where your foot lands, I'm giving to you as your inheritance. So Abram's going to take the whole land, or it's, God is giving him the whole land ultimately. But for that moment in time, Lot takes the Jordan River Valley. So Lot is living close to the cities of the plain, and he has pitched his tents near Sodom. Well, we next find Lot mentioned in chapter 14. There was a war in that land and among the cities of the plain, there were five cities of the plain, by the way. There was Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboiim, and Zoar. Those five. But there's a war in that region, and Lot is taken captive along with all of his possessions and all of his family. And it says in chapter 14, verse 12, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Where was he living? In Sodom. No longer just near it. But now, he's in Sodom itself. Is Sodom a good place to live? Is Sodom a good place to raise a family? No, not at all. It is a wicked city in a wicked region, and God is about to bring judgment on the cities of the plain very soon. Well, in chapter 18, Abraham is visited by three men. One of the three is referred to as the Lord. So these angels, and one referred to as the Lord, come, and they meet up with Abram, with Abraham. They're on their way to Sodom. And the Lord says to Abraham in verse 20, chapter 18, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I'll know. Now, how does Abraham interpret that? Boy, if things are that bad in Sodom, God's judgment is coming on him, and he'll destroy him. So what does Abraham do? Who's his first thought for? His first thought is for Lot, sure. It's because he knows that Lot is living in Sodom. He's concerned for him. So Abraham begins this bargaining process with God. You remember this, don't you? And Abraham says to God, God, what if there are 50 righteous people down there in Sodom? You won't destroy the righteous people with the wicked, far be it from you to do a thing like that. And God says, no, I'll I'll spare the city if I find 50 righteous. (laughs) But Abraham probably knows the reputation of that city. And he says, "Uh, God, what if there's only 45? You won't destroy the city if there are 45 righteous, will you? And he says, no, I'll spare the city for the sake of the 45. What if there's only 40, God? I'll spare the city for the sake of the 40. Well, God, let, let me ask one more time. What if there's only 30? I'll spare the city for the sake of the 30. Well, God, don't get upset at me, but what, what if there's only 20? You won't destroy the city if there are 20 righteous here, will you? I'll spare the city for the sake of the 20. God, please let me ask one more time. What if there's only 10? I'll spare the city for the sake of the 10. Well, in chapter 19, the angels, the other two angels arrive at Sodom. Lot is sitting in the gateway of the city. By the way, you need to know something here. You need to remember, if you don't remember these verses, that in 2 Peter chapter 2, it refers to Lot as a righteous man. Now, I don't know if Peter is given him the benefit of the doubt, because usually when we think of Lot, we don't think of him being righteous. But it refers to that man's righteous soul, it says, was vexed by all the sin that he saw every day. It bothered him, all right? And so Peter makes that reference to him in 2 Peter chapter 2. But in chapter 19, the angels arrive at Sodom, Lot's sitting in the gateway of the city. He invites them to stay at his house, and they finally agree to do so. But that night, men from the city come to Lot's house, and they want Lot to bring out those two visitors, who they don't realize are angels, bring out those two men so they can have sex with them. If you ever wondered where the word sodomy comes from, wonder no more. All right? This city was steeped in the sin of homosexuality. Well, Lot refuses to do it. And so the men of the city become angry. They move forward to break down the door of Lot's house and to get a hold of him. But the angels reach out. They pull Lot back in, and they struck the men of the city with blindness. And the angels tell Lot, Get your family together and get out of this city. Get out of Sodom because it's about to be destroyed by God. Now the next morning, the angels tell Lot to hurry and get out, but Lot hesitates. And and it makes me wonder, here's a man whose righteous soul was vexed by the living conditions and the sin of that town, and yet he lingers. He hesitates. So they take him by the hand. They pull him out. They lead him and his wife and his two daughters out of the city. But his sons-in-law, they don't come. When Lot warned them, it says in verse 14, they thought he was joking. They didn't think he was serious. But long story short, Lot is saved and God destroys the cities of the plain, which included Sodom and Gomorrah. Now you can see for yourself that the history of Lot it's the history of a man who made some bad decisions. When he turned away from Abraham and Abraham, maybe Abraham's influence of faith on him, his faith began to diminish. At least at least his testimony began to diminish. And when he chose the well-watered region and plains of the Jordan River valley, was he seeking God's glory in that? I don't think so. I'm thinking he's seeking his own glory. And while seeking his own interests, his testimony as a believer in the Lord was certainly diminished. So again, notice the choice he made. In 13, chapter 13, verse 12, Lot chose to live among the cities of the plain, pitched his tents near Sodom. Near Sodom. You know, those who walk by sight and not by faith will always be influenced by appearances. Lot certainly was. And perhaps he didn't intend to move in and live in the city. But as we've seen, he ultimately did move in. And then he settles there so firmly that the angels of God can hardly get him out. We need to learn some lessons from the life of Lot. This is a warning for us as Christians. You see, don't read this. Don't read the story of Lot as just an interesting little bit of Bible history. This applies to us also. So learn the lesson. How many people who profess to be Christians are pitching their tents toward Sodom? How many people that profess to be Christians are trying to be a friend of the world? How many Christians are charmed by the world's delights and the desires of the world? How many are trying to take the best out of both God's things and the things of the world? If you're doing that, then you're pitching your tent toward Sodom. You may not be there yet. You may not be in Sodom yet, but you're sure moving that way. And you don't mean to move in. You don't mean to go in. I don't think, a lot may not have meant to have went in. But he did. And so will you. If you don't take your mind and desires off the worldly things and put them on the heavenly, eternal, and spiritual things. We've got to remember, folks, Sodom is always near. It's always available. I think there are thousands of lots in this land. People that are so blinded by their earthly passions that they endanger their very souls and the souls of their dear families. And you may think, well, everybody does it. God's not going to notice. It won't affect me. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. You live that way and you will end up moving into Sodom. I guarantee it. So, don't make bad decisions. Don't make the wrong decision. Don't compromise with the world. When you make a commitment to God, keep it and keep it strong. So, Christian people heed the lesson don't go near Sodom. If you do, you'll probably go in. Why in the world do we want to see how close to the world we can get and still be a Christian? You know something? You have to cross the line to find out. You have to enter Sodom to find out. Don't go in. Notice something else here. Notice the position that Lot occupied. It tells us in chapter 19, verse 1, that Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. You say, big deal. Well, the gate of the city was the usual place where the elders of a city would sit. And it was there that they would deal with legal issues and transactions were completed there and bargains were made there and everyday affairs were discussed. This was like the the place where the city council met at the gateway of the city and Lot is there, okay? And, And it may well be that Lot was now one of the elders of the city. I mean, having become a companion with them, it may be that now he'd become a partner with them. And listen, folks, when a Christian can find pleasure in the fellowship of the ungodly, he will soon share in their sins. You play with fire long enough, you'll get burnt. And in the case of Sodom, that was literally true. Now, Lot did get up and invite these angelic visitors to his house Maybe he did that because of that righteous soul Peter talks about, because he knew the danger that awaited such visitors to Sodom. Maybe he still had the decency to protect these visitors. But it's while they're at Lot's house that they tell him they're going to destroy the city because of its wickedness, that everything in that city would be destroyed, so Lot needed to prepare to leave the city quickly. So answer this question about your own life. If all of your wicked things were destroyed, would you lose anything? How would it affect your plans and purposes? If everything in your life that opposes God were destroyed, how much would you lose? You see, if our hearts are entangled with the wickedness of the world, we'll suffer loss which I think that's why Paul tells us over in Colossians chapter 3 to set our minds and affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God so that when every wicked place is destroyed, your inheritance will remain untouched. It'll be safe with our Father. Remember Jesus asked in Matthew 16, verse 26, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Nothing. 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 It's also interesting to me that in verse 14 it says, So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to, marry, pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place because the Lord's about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. They didn't think he was serious. Why? Why would they think he was joking? Why did they disregard the warning? The Bible doesn't tell us why. But I speculate, and I wonder if it was because Lot's life hadn't been an example worth believing. His life hadn't been an example worth following. Folks, our testimony for God will always be a mockery to other people if we're living a life of sin, or a life of inconsistency, or a life of hypocrisy. Who's going to believe sin is bitter if we roll it under our tongue like it's some sweet morsel? They won't believe that. Doesn't matter what we say, doesn't matter if we're not practicing what we preach. One man put it this way it's hard to preach freedom when you're living in captivity. Then when it finally came time to leave the next morning, Lot hesitates. You see that in verse 16. He hesitates so much so they grab his hands, in the hands of his wife, hands of his daughters to pull him out of the city, told them that not to look back, gave them that command. Lot was reluctant to come out of that sinful environment. And I think it's that way with a lot of people that profess to be Christians today, that they are slow to obey the call of God because their lives are entangled with the affairs of the world. And I think that's the reason why a lot of churches are not as strong and don't grow as they should. God designed the church to grow. And if it's not growing, something unnatural is happening. And it's not His fault. And I think so so much of the time, it's because the members of the churches are too entangled with the affairs of the world. And I think that's why it's so difficult to pass on the faith to the next generation, those coming behind us. And it's because we've allowed them, by our example, to become entangled with the affairs of the world too. I mean, stop and think about this. Do we honestly, honestly show to our young people, to the next generation behind us, do we honestly show them that God comes first in our lives? Do we? Is God and the things of God top priority in your life? Do people see that? Or is God only top priority until something better comes along that you want to do? You getting this? The angels took his hand and everyone else's hand, had to pull them out to get them to leave, almost had to force them out. Praise God, he's patient And compassionate with us. God does what's necessary for us to be saved. The question is, will we accept it? The angel said, run for your lives. And Lot hesitates. He lingered. I think a lot of people perish in sin in full light of knowledge just for lack of decision. Hey Lot, this is not the time to be lingering. It's time to get out. And it's not a time for us to be lingering in the affairs of this world either. And, and Lot, seemed, he appreciated little, I think, what was being done for him. In fact, when the angel told him where to go to escape, he said, oh no, I can't go that far. No, and he begins to negotiate with them on a different place. He, he, he thought the place they wanted him to go was too far. So in verse 20 he says, what about this place? It's closer and closer. The angels grant that request too, but why in the world would Lot want to be saved as near to the city of doom as possible? And why would we want to be saved by the skin of our teeth and nothing more? I mean, is there not an unwillingness in the minds of many of God's people to flee all the way to the mountains of complete separation? Why do we want to live as close to the line as possible and still be saved? Why wouldn't we rather live as close to God as we can get and be saved? Why do we still want to live so close to the world? And that may well be why Lot's wife lost her life. She just couldn't totally make the break with the world. Maybe she was caught up in her possessions and lifestyle. Maybe she was clinging to the past and afraid of the future. But for whatever reason, she had to look back. And it cost her her life. Some of you have been Christians for years and years and years. Don't look back. It could cost you your soul. Jesus said in Luke 9, verse 62, the last verse of that chapter, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Don't look back. Then finally, notice in verse 22, the angel says, Flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. How precious. Even a person that makes poor decisions is to God. Judgment can't fall on Sodom until Lot is safe. Think how the presence of this worldly-minded believer among the ungodly, was hindering God from carrying out his own purposes. Until Lot came out from among them, the work of God was at a standstill. And again, I think this is a problem in so many churches today. God's work is at a standstill because of those that profess to be Christians refusing to separate themselves from the world and make a full commitment to God. A full commitment. How much has the Lord's work been hindered by Christians that are lingering in the world? tangled up in the affairs of the world how many churches aren't growing because of members who won't separate themselves entirely from the world and unto god how many times has the work of god been hindered and and, and from been been kept from carrying out his purposes because we stand still like lot did and refuse to move out of sin or refuse to move out of the world or refuse to step out in faith what a lesson There's work to be done, amen? Are we keeping it from being done? Have you made some poor decisions? Have you slid backwards in your faithfulness? If so, there's still time to come out before destruction overtakes you. Jesus hadn't returned yet, but when he does, there will be no second chances then. So if you've gone backwards in your commitment to Jesus, why not renew your commitment to Him today? You can do that. And then hold to it with everything in you, and when the world tries to drag you back, don't go. Or when the culture says, or the school says, or the ball team says, or whoever says, the Lord won't care if you do this instead of keeping your commitment to Him, or your commitment to the church, or your commitment to your youth group, or whatever, Don't give in. Keep your commitment to the Lord strong. Don't compromise. Don't give in. Don't slide back. Don't make a bad decision. So if you need to renew your commitment to the Lord today, you can do that. You could meet me down front when we stand and sing. If you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior today for the very first time, Again, you could come and meet me down front. Everything is ready. We have a baptistry with water in it. We have clothing for you to wear. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who died on that old rugged cross to save you from your sin, if you're sorry for your sin, a sorrow that goes far enough to cause you to change the direction of your life and repent and come to the Lord, then why not come have those sins washed away? in the waters of Christian baptism, where your sins will be washed away, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise of everlasting life. You can make that decision today. You could meet me down front when we stand to sing. Maybe you simply need to come and pray or find someone to pray with. And maybe like Andy said last week, if you want to come up forward, to come to the front and pray, feel free to. If you'd like to pray by yourself, You can come up and take your place here on your right side, my left. If you want someone to pray with you, you can come over to your left side, my right. Whatever your decision today, keep your commitment strong. Let's stand.